All right, happy new year. You know, there I wasn't sure how many people would be here. We kind of hit a weird season. We had Christmas on a Sunday, New Year's Day on a Sunday. And so I am pleased that nobody here partied so hard that they couldn't be here this morning. For those that are not here, there's no shame. You know, they just, uh, they're just not here. Hey, turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 63. We're going to be reading a fuller text of what uh, Kayla read just a second ago. But before we get there, uh, in this Christmas season, there's something that we do a lot of. And it's Christmas movies. How many of you guys like watching Christmas movies? Right, you got your favorites. We've got kids in here, right? I see some kids. What's like a favorite Christmas movie? Shout it out. I knew it. I was, if I put a hundred bucks, every boy between the ages of five and 80 would have said Home Alone. <laughs> Home Alone 1, Home Alone 2, Home Alone 3, Home Alone 4, and they did another one last year. Did you know there's five Home Alone movies? I know. Well, you should, now you know what you're doing this afternoon, right? And as like a middle school boy at heart, I love all of them. Um, Christmas movies, whether it's Elf, whether it's Wonderful Life, we watch all these movies right during this season. And no matter what the movie is, whether it's a Hallmark movie where people are finding love under the Christmas tree or whatever's happening, all of these movies really at their core, they're about love. They're about the love either of two people, of a family. They're all love stories. And these movies remind us to be grateful for the people, the families that we have around us. They also make us think of people that have passed, loved ones that we had that are no longer here. It also sometimes reminds us of relationships that we once had that we don't have anymore. Relationships that maybe have been broken, right? There's lots of movies. Just pick one of the million movies on Netflix or Hulu. These romantic comedies where people are going to get together. They're going to rekindle uh, a love that they once had. Or maybe it's going to be a father and son, right, who rekindle their relationship at Christmas time. And somehow there's a dog involved and there's this crazy story. And we, true story, we got hooked. There's this movie on Netflix. The only reason we clicked on it because it had a dog that looked like ours right? And I got sucked in. I didn't know what it's called. doesn't matter. The dog was cute. And a father and son rekindle Christmas. I get sucked in this stuff as well. And let's just say, and if I took a second and said, hey, think of a relationship that you have that once was really great, and it's not as good anymore. Something happened. I don't care if you're five years old or 95. We all experience this. Think about it in your head for a minute. Who's that person? Is it an old friend? Is it a sibling? Is it a parent or a son or daughter or a cousin? And let's say you wanted to reconcile that. Let's say you wanted to fix it. What do you do? Right? The movies that we all watch would tell us that, well, one of the things that you do is you try to recreate some kind of moment in the past Right? You go back to the first place you met. Right? You, take the, you take the girl to the first place you had dinner, and you hope that by being in that space together, right, it will, you'll remember those feelings. Right? Because what's happened is you've lost that love and feeling, right? to quote Top Gun. And it's gone, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. Right? But if you want to get it back, 
we often go back to the beginning. And that's what we've been talking about with the advent of Jesus Christ. We go back to the story every year. We remember the story because it's so easy for us to get off track. For our relationship with God individually and as a community to get off course. So we go back to the beginning. That's what's going to happen in Isaiah. That's what he's going to be talking about with these Israelites. He's going to go back to the beginning of their story with God. Back to when they first met. Back to when things were really good. And they're gonna, he's going to try to get them to remember what it was like to be fully committed God. To be earnestly seeking God, which is one of our values here at this church. He's going to try to jog their memory, hoping that it can put them on a path of recovery with God. And before we read this, a couple other things is that what's happened is the story of Israel, we, some of us know this really well, is that it started out really good, like a lot of our relationships. And then it goes really bad, like a lot of our relationships. And it ends up leading them to get exiled to a foreign land of Babylon. For 70 years, God actually drives the people out. Many of us know, the, know these stories. And at this point in Isaiah chapter 63 that we're going to read, most scholars believe that they've actually been brought back into the land. The 70 years is over. They've come back home. But it doesn't look like home. It's devastated. It's broken. And the people who were going to be hearing these words for the first time either were possibly born in Babylon or they were born in Jerusalem, but in a Jerusalem that's unlike anything their ancestors told them about. Does that kind of make sense? It's not the Israel that they've heard about. It's not like that. And so as we read this, I want us to keep those things in mind that these Israelites in Isaiah 63 are facing fear and struggle. Their circumstances are unknown. They don't know what's going to happen. Just like none of us know what's going to happen this year for us, right? Hopefully a lot of good things. Probably some hard things. Possibly some surprises. And depending on if you like surprises, that could be good or bad. We don't know what this year has for us. I think we're facing a kind of similar situation. And they're wondering in this passage, could God show up for us like he showed up for our ancestors? Could the God who delivered our ancestors out of Egypt, could he do that for us? Because they're looking around saying, I don't know what's going to happen. And you might be saying, Danny, why in the world are we going to talk about this at Christmas? Because we just celebrated the birth of Christ last week. We just sang about it again. Emmanuel, God with us. But it's been 2,000 years since that happened. Right? We've been in a long waiting period. And we might be wondering, like these Israelites, God, did you, did you forget? God, I, I, I remember, I look back and you did all these really cool things. God, are you, could, you, could you do that for us? I don't think I'm the only person that has those questions. It doesn't mean we don't trust God. It doesn't mean we're not committed to God. It means we're human beings who look around and say, the world's kind of struggling, God, I want you to show up. So that's the context of what's happening here. I think God is going to speak to us in this passage, so let's read this. This is Isaiah 63, starting at verse 7, the word of the Lord, First Church today. I will tell of the kindness of the Lord, the deeds for which he is to be praised. 
according to all the Lord has done for us. Yes, the many good things he has done for Israel, according to his compassion and his many kindnesses. He said, this is God speaking, Surely they are my people, children who will be true to me. And so he became their savior. In all their distress, he too was distressed. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up. He carried them all the days of old. Yet they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. So he turned and he and became their enemy. And he himself fought against them. Then his people recalled the days of old, the days of Moses and his people. Where is he? And these are, this is spoken to God. Where is he who brought them through the sea with the shepherd of his flock? Where is he who set his Holy Spirit among them, who sent his glorious arm of power to be at Moses' right hand, who divided the waters before them to gain for himself everlasting renown, who led them through the depths like a horse in open country they did not stumble, like cattle that go down to the plain, they were given rest by the Spirit of the Lord. This is how you guided your people to make for yourself a glorious name. Look down from heaven and see from your lofty throne, holy and glorious, where are your zeal and your might? Your tenderness and compassion are withheld from us. But you are our father, though Abraham does not know us, or Israel acknowledge us. You, O Lord, are our father, our redeemer from old is your name. That's the word of the Lord today. We're going to talk about this combination of what it means to be in good relationship with God, reconciled, restored, and what it means for God to lead and how those things go hand in hand. And so Israel is not restored to God at this point. And the first point is this, that restoration begins with remembrance and praise. This is what Kalen read when we opened the service. Look at this, Isaiah's, he's just lavishing praise on God. I'm going to tell of the kindnesses of God, the deeds of God, all that God's done, the many good things, how God gave them favor with all people. His kindnesses, his compassion, his favor. Now think about this. I mentioned like we talked about these Christmas movies, okay? So I want you to picture this with me. This is where my mind goes, okay? Picture that you're trying to reconcile this relationship. So you, you, you invite God to this restaurant to meet you. And God's going to meet and Israel is going to meet, right, as one person. They're going to meet at a table and they're going to try to talk it through. And so they, God's at the table and Israel's there. And you sit down, and if you were going to try to kind of like win back that love and feeling, this is what you would do. You would say, God, oh, did you do something different with your hair? You look, you look great. I love your shoes. Did you get a Peloton for Christmas, right? You've been biking that thing, or maybe you signed up for the World Vision Race. You've been jogging a lot, right? Looking trim. If you were trying to reconcile relationship you flatter somebody right if you don't you should we should know this right you say nice things about people it doesn't mean you don't mean them but that's what he's doing he's saying god you look so you look so great god you did all this stuff for us in the past this is what we would do if we're sitting across from someone that we are trying to to reconcile with this should make sense to us this is what he's doing and then and then we hear their first words this is in verse 8 
This is the, remember what you first said to me? And God speaks. He says, you're my people. Surely that you're going to be true to me. These are the first words that God speaks to his people. And this is a quote from Leviticus chapter 26. And we're going to come back here a few times. But in Leviticus chapter 26 at verse 9, listen to these words. So what God says. I will look on you with favor and make you fruitful and increase in numbers. And I will keep my covenant with you. This is way back when God's laying out the law. You will still be eating last year's harvest when you will have to move it out to make room for the new. That's abundance. I will make my dwelling place among you, and I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God. You will be my people. That's what Isaiah is quoting from here. These are really good promises. And Isaiah is saying, remember all these things that you did? God, that was so amazing. And then in verses 8 and 9, God becomes their savior, right? This is a reference to the Exodus. We know this story. This is the greatest story in Israel's history. They're in bondage. They're enslaved. They're marginalized. They got nowhere to go. And God sees their pain and suffering and how they're being worked for another person's kingdom. And God, out of that, is going to create a nation for himself. And there's this really powerful verse in verse 9, and it says this, In all their distress, he too was distressed. The ESV version says, In all their affliction, he was afflicted. Think about that for a second. God feels the pain of his people. He's not just this far-off God who doesn't understand, he actually sees our affliction. He was with them in their pain in Egypt. And God is with them in their pain when they're in Babylon. And God is with these people as they're back in this land that doesn't look very good. And God is with us right now. God is with you. God is always with his people. And it's not simply that God knows about suffering, like he has knowledge of it. It's as if God, if he can, actually feels our pain. He's with us in our suffering. And we know this because we look forward to Jesus Christ, right? This baby that we think about in this season who becomes a man and who goes and suffers on a cross for us. He actually takes on our affliction. He takes on our suffering. God knows what it's like to suffer with and for his people. That should encourage us. You are not alone. Any pain that you feel, you are not, you may feel alone, but God is with you. Jesus is the greatest example of that. And his presence is actually the one that delivers them. In verse 9, it says this. The angel of his presence saved them. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them. He carried them. It's actually God. It wasn't in the Exodus. It's not some angel that leads them. It's God's actual presence that delivers the people. We see this in Exodus chapter 33. And God's moved by love and mercy to deliver them. It says he lifts them up. He carries them. Why? Because they can't save themselves. They are absolutely stuck. Have you ever been stuck? Like physically stuck. Like you fell down and you can't get up. 
You stepped into a hole. I don't know. However people get stuck these days. You step in a bear trap or something. Right? I'm pretty sure if you step in a bear trap, you're not getting out of that thing. They were stuck. They're in bondage to the greatest king of the world at the time, Pharaoh. They have nowhere to go. They have no ability to free themselves. They are absolutely enslaved and in bondage to Pharaoh. And he's retelling his story. Remember that? Remember, remember how you couldn't get out. They couldn't save themselves. God was moved by their inability. See, God is not impressed by our abilities. Some of you are really talented, like really talented. But God's not impressed by that because he gave those abilities to you. Right? He's not impressed. And maybe he smiles. But it's not our abilities that impress God. You know what it is? It's our dependence on God that makes God smile. That we would still be willing to lean on God and let him lead us. That's what God is longing for. This is why we have trouble with verses like this in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, where Jesus says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. How many times do we quote that? But I read that and I think, wait, what? Power is made perfect in weakness? That's not what I've been told my whole life. Weakness is weakness. Weakness is bad. I don't want my sons to grow up to be weak, right? But scripturally, God's like, hey, weakness is an opportunity for God's power to be on display. Our culture says weakness should be hidden, should be never talked about. God says, I want to fill your weakness with my Holy Spirit. Because God's kingdom shines in that and God gets glory. We're ashamed of weakness. God is not. And in this Exodus story, they're weak. They're totally weak. And they know it. And so they let God fill it. And what does God do? He busts out all these plagues. He takes Pharaoh down. He's parting seas. They got bread coming from heaven, quail coming from wherever. Right? Fires, smoke. God just is on full display because they are absolutely dependent they can't even eat with him. They can't even find water without him. They're completely dependent in these days of old. And then we get to this really good part. Because the story doesn't stay there, right? We know this. There's the conflict. There's the awkward part, right? They're at the table talking. Remember when you did all this stuff? That was so cool. And then they both remember, oh yeah, remember when we rebelled? And I said that stuff. And then I left you. See, restoration must include acknowledging the conflict and the pain. I would guess, if I was betting, that most people in this room are conflict avoidant. I am. <laughs> I've learned to try to not be. Most of us don't like conflict, so we avoid it, or we don't talk about it, or we pretend it's not there. But it is. And the great thing is God is absolutely not conflict avoidant at all. God wants to deal with with things. See, they break covenant with God. This is verse 10. Yet after all these great things, they rebel. They grieve his Holy Spirit. So he turned and became their enemy. He himself fought against them. 
They rebel. They go after other gods, even after all that God has done for them. They rebel. And it's not just that they, like, did bad things. I mean, that's bad. Don't do bad things, right? Kids, don't do bad stuff. But more than that, their hearts turned from God. They started looking at other gods. They turned their heart, they turned their eyes away from God. They neglected his instructions. And their rebellion grieves God's Holy Spirit. Right? Their rebellion comes into conflict with God's holiness. And the two don't mesh. They don't go together like this. They hit like a wall. And there's conflict And it says that it grieves God's Holy Spirit. Is God mad about this? I think he is. Is he angry? Probably. But when you think about grief, somebody you've grieved over, what's really at the core of that is you're sad. Your heart is broken. Their rebellion breaks God's heart because he knows, he knows what's going to happen. He knows there's going to be consequences because he laid this entire thing out way back in Leviticus chapter 26 and told them, if this is what's going to happen, I'm going to tell you ahead of time. And what happens is that God becomes their enemy. That's what it says. So he turned and became their enemy and he himself fought against them. That's not like a verse you put on your refrigerator. Do you guys have that one on there? Right? You didn't get like a little knit thing for Christmas. I don't know what that is. You know, there's people here who knit and stuff, right? Whatever, crocheted. That's not a promise you're putting. You don't want that one, right? So he turned, he became there. What do we do with that? Can God become the enemy of his people? I mean, it says it. Our God doesn't do that, does he? I'm pretty sure he gets to do whatever he wants. He's God. Well, if he's their enemy, if he fights against them, does that mean he doesn't love them? Does that mean that he's breaking his covenant with them? I mean, I don't think so. It depends how you define love, right? This is where we have to break away from all those lame-o movies that we talked about. I mean, they're fun, right? But don't get your definition of love from those. Love doesn't just let people do whatever they want. Remember, God is not afraid to deal with con- Love confronts. Can I get an amen? <laughs> love doesn't go away from the pain. Love goes into it, knowing how hard it is. Love has to confront. And so we have to sit with this fact that God becomes the enemy of his own people. And in Leviticus 26, in verses 27 through 33, I'm going to read this, and I've skipped a couple verses because we've got kids in here, and it gets pretty, uh, it gets pretty intense. This is what it says. Listen to this. If in spite of all this, this is God speaking, you do not listen to me, and you continue to be hostile toward me, then in my anger, I will be hostile toward you. I myself will punish you for your sins seven times over. I will destroy your high places, cut down your altars, your false worship. I'll turn your cities into ruins. I'll lay waste to your sanctuaries, the temple. I'll take no delight in pleasing the realm of your offerings. I, my, I myself will lay waste to your land so that your enemies who live there will be appalled. I will scatter you among the nations. I will draw my sword out and pursue you 
Your land will be laid waste. Your cities will lie in ruins. Again, this is not something you put on your refrigerator. But this is what God laid out years and years and years before he ever sent his people into exile. It's all here. Now think about this. You're the original here. You're back in Jerusalem. It's a mess. The temple's gone. Devastated. You're the laughing stock of the world. They've just lived out this verse. This is their life. God did everything he said he was going to do. Right? God fulfills promises. It's just not the promise they were hoping for. God told them. He laid it out. And Isaiah's laying this story out. And then they have this experience of God's discipline, but this opens up the opportunity for them to remember God's faithfulness. Because even in that, God was there with them. The people remember, it says in verse 11, then his people recalled the days of old, the days of Moses and his people. They remember that before all this stuff happened, God had created them and delivered them and he was with them. They used to earnestly seek God. They go back to that place when they were doing that. They remember and Isaiah lists a series of questions as they turn their eyes back to God and they're thinking of what their situation is now. They say, where's the shepherd like that? Where's he who set his Holy Spirit among them? Who sent his glorious arm to be at Moses' right hand, divided the waters, led them in. Where is that? If I had to summarize it, I'd say this. They're saying, where is that God? That's the God we need. We need the God of the Exodus. And they're looking around like, where, where is he? God, we know we're your people. It doesn't feel like it, though. Have you ever felt like that? God, I know you love me. God, I believe you're with me. But I'm struggling because it just I feel lost. I don't know where you are. I've heard of how you, you did these great things in my parents' lives and all this stuff, but I, I haven't seen that for myself, and I want that. If you ever had questions like that, that's what they're facing here. And there's a really beautiful passage in Leviticus 26 at the end of it where God says, listen, but if you turn back, we don't have time, it's up there if you want to read it. If after all of that rebellion you turn back to me, I will be with you. And he says that even in your exile, I will be with you there. See, God never abandoned his people. God was always there with them. And all this talk about the Exodus makes me think this. Many of us know the Exodus story really well, right? We've seen it on the flannel gram, and we've heard sermons about it. We've seen Charlton Heston do his thing, right? We've seen the Prince of Egypt, whatever your movie source is, right? And we think about it. Have you ever thought it would have been so cool to be there, right? Am I alone in this? Like not at the bottom, like maybe up on a hill watching, right? This incredible story. And I wonder if these Israelites in Isaiah 63 maybe think the same thing. But if you go back and you read Exodus chapter 14, it is a different story for the people who are there. See, we want God to lead us. What we forget is that when God is at the helm leading, it's scary. Because it's unknown. And if you read Exodus 14, here's what you find. The people 
come to the Red Sea. Pharaoh's coming up on them. The sea's here. They got nowhere to go, and they're absolutely terrified. They're terrified. They think they're going to die. They're yelling at Moses, why did you bring us here, man? Like, this is terrible. We're going to die. We got no food. We want to go back and just be servants. At least we had stuff there. It was, yeah, it was hard, I guess, but they, they are absolutely terrified. They want nothing to do with this. It sounds a lot like maybe how these Israelites and Isaiah are feeling. It sounds maybe a little bit like how some of us might be feeling today, I think, too. See, we want, we want God's name to be famous through us. We want God to work in our lives. We want God to work in our church, and I do. But it means we have to be willing to let God lead us into unknown situations. See, God doesn't get his glorious name by doing really easy things. God likes to put us in situations where we have to rely on him, where we're a little bit nervous. <laughs> God, are you going to show up? You know, it's like signing up for a marathon, right? I don't know if we're going to finish. I hope we do. I want to. There's a little bit of a question mark. I have a tricky track record with marathons, so that's another story. Think about this. God, God is the one who led the people to this impossible Red Sea situation. God is the one who led his people into exile. That was a hard situation. God is the one who leads Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem, knowing that there's no room in the inn. Knowing that their families are going to reject them. Knowing that their whole name is going to be tarnished because Mary's pregnant because of the Holy Spirit. Which we know is true, but is a hard thing to believe at the time. God led Jesus to the cross so that he could die for us. God leads into unknown circumstances. God's power is made perfect. And weakness. This is why it's hard for us to let God lead. Because it's scary. <laughs> but it's good. Wouldn't you rather have God leading you? Wouldn't we rather have God leading this church? If we're going to earnestly seek God as a community, we have to let God lead. Otherwise, we will get off course. Our relationship with God will get derailed. In closing, um, this passage, in this passage, we see Isaiah trying to rekindle this relationship between God's people to get them to remember all the great stuff God did in the beginning. The words he said, how he saved them, how he delivered them, how he's been faithful to them this entire time. And they have to make a decision, okay, with all of that, will we let God lead? Will we let God lead? And there's this incredible statement they make in verse 16. It says this, but you are our father, though Abraham doesn't know us, or Israel acknowledges, you, Lord, are our father, our redeemer from old is your name. Think about it. Abraham, this is years later. Abraham's dead. Abraham's in the dust, you know. Abraham's gone. And Israel, he's gone too. But you, Lord, are our father, our redeemer from old. What a powerful statement. It is God who needs to deliver them. Not their ancestors. It's God who's been faithful. And for us today, it's the same question. 
the apostles, the reformers, all these, they can't do it for us. Jesus has to lead us. Jesus has to lead our church. We have to declare that, Jesus, you are our redeemer from old. And what a fitting thing to find ourselves together as a church on January 1st, 2023. Crazy. And could we say that together? Could we declare, God, you are our father. You are our redeemer from old. I want to invite the praise team up. I want us to take a minute to reflect. As we think about this new year, we're going to get to come to the table in just a minute. What would it look like for us to recommit ourselves to Christ today? To remember these incredible stories in this book that point to this incredible God who sends his son to reconcile the world. What would it mean for us to really say, God, I want to be restored to you, and God, I want to let you lead, individually and as a community. What might that look like? I'm going to ask you to think about three statements The first one is this. Praise God, even in just your hearts right now. Have you praised God for what he's done this last year? I want you to think about some things. What did God do in your life this year? Have you thanked him for it? Were you able to pay your mortgage all year? <laughs> That's a blessing. Did God answer prayers? Take a moment right now, just in your heart, to think about that. Praise him just like Isaiah does in verse 7. What has God done in your life? What kindnesses did he display to you? What good things how has his compassion and kindness been displayed in your life? And also think about the conflict honest about the places where you're struggling. Is there an area in your life where you're in conflict with God or maybe with someone else? And God would want you to move through that. Is there a person that comes to mind? Is there a situation? Have you been honest about it? Are you harboring unforgiveness or resentfulness? want you to let go of that this year. His love is greater than that.
what would it look like for you to renew your commitment to depend on God each and every day? What would it look like for you every day to wake up and say, you, O Lord, are my Father. Jesus, you are my Redeemer from old. What if we said that every day? How might that change each and every day we live in 2020? encourage you to think about those things today and this week because here's some incredible news God is not like our failed relationships where we wonder if he can ever forgive where we wonder if we can ever get back to that place we had God has always been faithful it is who he is he will never leave you he will never forsake you he's never going away He's always going to pursue you because he absolutely loves you. Totally, fully, even when we grieve his Holy Spirit and rebel against him. That is good news of glad tidings. That is the Christmas story. That is why even 2,000 years later, we can have real actual hope in Jesus Christ. And that's why we can await his second advent. He will come again. Will we let him lead us to that point? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these stories that help us remember how good and faithful you are. And in this moment of just reflecting, God, we ask that you would search our hearts. We would recommit ourselves to you. That we would let you lead. God, where are those places in our life that we're struggling to let you in? We want to release these things to you so that your power can be made perfect in our weakness. And as we look toward the table, God, we ask that you would nourish us, prepare us for this new year. A year where we know for sure that you will be with us. We pray this in Jesus' name.